0: You're listening to Comedy Central.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. On tonight's episode, Laverne Cox is here to talk about trans representation in TV and film. NFL star and activist, Malcolm Jenkins, will talk about his new initiative that he announced at the ESPYs. And President Trump relaunches his campaign in a stadium packed with tens of people. But first, let's catch up on today's headlines. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show.
0: From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world.
1: This is The Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Let's begin with statues. They're how society honors people from history and where teenagers meet at the park to buy drugs. Since the Black Lives Matter protests began in the wake of George Floyd's murder, Protesters have been tearing down Confederate memorials around the country. And now so many of those statues have been pulled down, that people are turning their sights on other historical figures.
2: In Portland, protesters lighting on fire the monument of George Washington
0: before pulling it down. The nation's first president faced down and covered in graffiti because activists say he was a slave owner. Demonstrators targeting Ulysses S. Grant, who led the Union Army against the Confederacy, but was said to have owned a slave.
2: And Francis Scott Key, who wrote the lyrics to the Star-Spangled Banner, but was also a slave owner. The American Museum of Natural History in New York City announced that they will remove a statue of President Theodore Roosevelt from its front steps. Uh, the statue features him on a horse with a Native American man and an African American man standing on either side of him.
1: Ooh wee This is not a good time to be a statue. Because at first, it felt like only the Confederate statues were coming down. But now it seems like this is tearing down anything that doesn't move. I'm so afraid that now when I'm waiting to cross the street, I keep moving just so that no one comes in and tries to rip off my head. I will be honest, though. The museum saying they're gonna take down the Teddy Roosevelt statue, it actually makes sense to me. Because as someone who lives in New York, I've walked past that statue so many times. And every time I've looked at it, I've thought, wow, that's an amazing statue that is also very problematic. Although I bet in the 1930s, that was considered a super woke statue. The sculptor was probably like, look at that. I put an Indian and a Negro being led by our white savior. I'm the most liberal guy in New York City. Now, look, that statue was originally supposed to symbolize Roosevelt's friendship with other races. But, I mean, the imagery's not good. Like, if you're such good friends, why don't you let them up on your horse? Or at the very least, give them something to ride. Now, one reason that these protests are still going strong is because racism is also going strong. I mean, just look at what happened after NASCAR banned the Confederate flag.
3: A disturbing discovery, a noose found in the garage stall of Bubba Wallace at the Talladega Super Speedway in Lincoln, Alabama on Sunday. Less than two weeks after Wallace, who's NASCAR's only full-time black driver, successfully convinced the stock car racing series to ban the Confederate flag at its tracks and facilities. Wallace responding overnight writing today's despicable act of racism and hatred leaves me incredibly saddened and serves as a painful reminder of how much further we have to go as a society and how persistent we must be in the fight against racism NASCAR releasing a statement reading in part we've launched an immediate investigation and will do everything we can to identify the person responsible and eliminate them from the sport man this is such bullshit
1: Bubba Wallace spoke out against racism and clearly someone wanted to send a reminder of what can happen to black people who don't know their place. And you know, because NASCAR has so many Confederate flag fans, this is something that might not stop for Baba. Like, I can tell you, fans are gonna be saying horrible things. People are gonna be putting up signs. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Baba starts getting pulled over during the race. Sir, we've been getting some calls that you've been circling this neighborhood for a couple of hours. Can I see your license and registration? I will say this though. As much as this story is infuriating, it also is wonderful how these racists expose themselves. Because all these Confederate flag loving people always say the same thing. This has nothing to do with race. The flag is about heritage. It has nothing to do with racism. But as soon as a black man stands up against the Confederate flag, the first thing they do is respond with racism. Like they say, The flag is just about Southern heritage, but nobody showed up to that garage with a Georgia peach cobbler. No one didn't show up there like, I'm gonna teach you a lesson about disrespecting Southern heritage. You want one slice or two? But let's move on to John Bolton, former Trump national security advisor and photo negative of Steve Harvey. His new tell-all memoir is officially out. And yesterday he sat down with ABC News to talk about it. Overnight,
3: John Bolton with a stinging rebuke of his former
4: boss, President Trump.
1: I don't think he's fit for office. I I don't think he has the competence to carry out the job. It's not clear to me that he read much of anything. A lot of people have complained that he has a short attention span. Decisions are made in a very scattershot fashion. How do you think history will remember Donald Trump? I hope uh, it will remember him as a one-term president who didn't plunge the country irretrievably into a downward spiral we can't recall from. We can get over one term. Two terms I'm more troubled about. I'm not gonna vote for him in November. Certainly not gonna vote for Joe Biden either. I'm gonna figure out a conservative Republican to write in. Okay, hold up. Donald Trump is a danger to the survival of the country, but you're gonna vote third party? We must do everything we can to defeat Donald Trump except the one thing we can do to defeat Donald Trump. Get the out of here, man. Sometimes in life, you only have two choices, okay? Pepsi or Coke, Foxes or briefs, Mario or Luigi. I know it's not fair, but you can only pick one to have sex with. Personally, I'm going with Mario. Yeah, he's shorter, but in my mind, that means he's got something to prove. So, Bolton spent the entire interview talking about how unprepared, incompetent, and corrupt the president is. But the weird thing is, Bolton joined the Trump administration over a year into Trump's term. So, I mean, he probably should have already known all of this, right? Why does it feel like everyone goes confidently into the Trump White House, like, I'll be the one to tame Donald Trump, and then they walk out six months later like, he he made fun of me, and he said all my ideas were dumb, and you can read all about it in my book that's coming out next week. Also, Bolton could have said all of this stuff during the impeachment hearings. But no, he wanted to put it into his tell-all book so that he could make some money. There's very little that I respect about John Bolton. In fact, the only thing I thought was cool about this interview was that he wore a mask during it. What's that? It's not a mask. That's what it Oh, that's his Oh. All right, never mind. There's nothing I respect about him. And finally, the coronavirus pandemic Even as cases continue to climb in the US, Americans are slowly trying to resume normal life. And the debates about what normal even means continues.
0: AMC is now requiring its guests to wear face masks when the theaters reopen. The company faced backlash when it first announced its reopening plans. AMC says it originally did not require customers to wear face masks to avoid political controversy. This rule will be implemented nationwide as 600 movie theaters begin to reopen
1: July 15th. That's right, AMC theaters announced that customers wouldn't have to wear masks and then people got mad and now AMC has backtracked. And it's really just amazing to me how masks have become a political issue. Trump refused to wear a mask, and now companies think that if they tell people to wear a mask, then they're forcing them to become Democrats? And I can't believe that there are people out there who would go to a movie theater, with coronavirus still raging, and on top of that, not wear a mask. Who values their life so little that they're willing to risk it to see a matinee of Sonic the Hedgehog? Because look, as much as I want to go back to the movies, it feels like, Mask or not, it's always gonna be a risk. Lots of people sitting close together for hours and in closed space. I mean, white people will be safer, you know? Because the things that spread the virus the most are laughing, shouting, and talking loudly. And white people do none of those things at the movies. Have you ever seen that shit? You ever sat next to white people in the movies, the most boring thing ever? Sometimes I'll poke the white person next to me just to make sure they're not dead. Yo, are you still alive? Shhh, you shh. Why you come to a room with 300 people and wanna keep quiet? Why don't you just go home, huh? Got a shitty-ass TV. That's why you're here. Don't try and judge me, I'm having fun. I came to a comedy to laugh. You wanna try and judge me here. Oh, I'm surprised 300 people make noise. I'm surprised popcorn makes sound. You, You show mask or no mask, movie theaters are gonna have a tough time coming back. But what's clear is that containing coronavirus will continue to be a struggle until everyone decides to start wearing masks, including all the people who think it makes you look like a wuss. You know, what we need as a way to convince even the most macho dudes to embrace face masks. And now we have one.
0: Are you a red-blooded American who's sick of scaredy cat stores telling you to put away your gun and put on a mask? I'm not doing it because I woke up in a free country. Introducing the gun mask. The only mask that's also a gun. Why hide from coronavirus when you can shoot it in the head with the only mask liberals will be begging you not to wear. Because you're not a soy boy who needs a mask for protection. You're a tough American who needs a gun for Protection Gun masks come in three adult sizes. Pistol, assault rifle, and f-ing bazooka. It's exactly six feet long, so all those social distancing crybabies will know exactly how far away to stay from you. They're 100% American made in China and have been approved by both the CDC and the NRA, so you can bear your arms directly
1: on your face. Gun masks, it's like stand your ground for your face. Now that's freedom. When we come back, we'll tell you why Trump's big campaign rally had more empty seats than a movie theater during corona. So don't go away. Oh, welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. As the corona lockdowns have stretched into month four, can you believe it? Month four. Many people in America cannot wait to get back to work. And there's one American who can't wait to get away from work, which is why after weeks of buildup, Donald Juneteenth Trump held a campaign rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. His first rally since the coronavirus shutdowns. But like most of Trump's sentences, it didn't exactly go as planned.
0: This morning, sources close to the White House say President Trump is furious that his much-hyped campaign reboot Went bust. His Saturday night rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, drawing a much smaller than expected crowd. The president had boasted that a million people requested tickets and he promised to fill the 19,000 seat arena. But the Tulsa Fire Marshal tells NBC News that 6,200 people showed up, leaving rows of empty seats. Outside the VOK Center, these workers took down the overflow stage early. The president had planned to address the crowd there, but no crowd
1: materialized. Oh, poor Trump. For somebody who was born into wealth and never suffered a single consequence for his actions, this dude just cannot catch a break. Because nothing is more humiliating than when you throw a party and most of the guests don't show up. I still remember when that happened for my 12th birthday. Oh, really? All of your grandmas died on the same weekend? (laughs) I find that very unlikely. So, why was turnout for Trump's rally so low? Well, the Trump administration claims it's because protesters blocked the entrance, which, like most things the Trump campaign says, is not true. The most likely explanation for all of those empty seats in that arena is that as much as some people love Trump, they also love not dying from coronavirus. Oh, and there's another thing that might've thrown off Trump's numbers at the arena, and it has to do with K-pop.
3: It turns out the Trump campaign might have been trolled by teenagers, TikTok users and Korean pop music fans. Before the Tulsa rally, these tech savvy groups mobilized to reserve tickets for an event that they had no intention of attending.
0: Oh My God, I just registered for Trump's rally and I'm so excited to not
3: go. While it's unlikely they were solely responsible for this low turnout, their antics may have inflated the campaign's expectations for attendance numbers. Clearly not everybody showed up in, in Tulsa. Maybe people heard the huge numbers and said they didn't want to go through the hassle of the crowds. <laughs> God
1: damn, that is hilarious. Getting foiled by a bunch of meddling kids. I mean, that means Trump is basically a Scooby-Doo villain now. Although at least Scooby-Doo villains wear masks. And I'm proud of these teens. I mean, think about it. In 2020, TikTok went from being an app where you learn dances to, hey guys, this is how we abolish the police and take down the president. Now, Trump was reportedly really unhappy when he looked out and saw the empty seats. But you know what? The people who were there were pumped up to see their guy again. Because remember, a week ago, when Trump used two hands to take a sip of water? Well, just look at how excited this crowd was when he managed to drink a glass of water with only
3: one. They said, you couldn't lift your hand up to your mouth with water. I was speaking for a long time. I didn't want to drink it, but I wanted to wet my lips a little bit. See, we have a little glass of water. Where the hell did this water come from, right? Where did it come from?
1: to live in a country where the president can drink water with just one hand sometimes. It feels like the longer the Trump presidency goes, the more confusing it's gonna be for kids studying American history in the future. So Lincoln was hailed for freeing the slaves and Kennedy was lauded for putting a man on the moon and Trump got cheers for drinking water? Did they mean inventing water? Is this textbook right? Now, there is a lot going on in the country that President Trump could have talked about at his rally, could have talked about Black Lives Matter, the coronavirus pandemic, but the topic that he devoted the most time to, nine full minutes, in fact, was how people made fun of the way he walked down a ramp last
4: week.
3: Last week, they called me, and they say, sir, West Point, West Point, we're ready. I I was on the the stage for hours.
4: Hours?
3: Son, I came home, I had a nice tan. He said, sir, we can now leave the stage. I said, great, General, let's go, I'll follow you. And he goes like Cause this. Because I'm wearing right leather bottom shoes, which is good if you're walking on flat surfaces. It's not good for ramps. I'm being baked. I'm being baked like a cake. I said, General, there's no way I can make it down that ramp without falling on my ass, General. Now I have a choice. I can stay up there for another couple of hours and wait till I'm rescued. Or I can go down this really steep, really, really, really. It's an ice skating rink, it's brutal. The first thing I did, I looked at his shoes. <laughs> then I looked at mine. So what happens very, very is I start the journey inch by inch, right? <laughs> so I took these little steps, I ran down the last ten. And by the way, their tape, take a look. In almost every instance. It is just before I run.
1: I've never seen Trump that defensive before. He spent so much time on this story that now I'm more suspicious than I was. Like before I thought, yeah, maybe Trump has some trouble walking down ramps, but now I'm not even sure that he has feet. It's also wild how Trump will talk for hours about walking down a ramp. But if you're asking about racism in America, he's like, someone's looking into it, we're gonna look into it, let's move on. So anyway, Trump tried to put on a brave face and give the crowd a show, He told crazy stories, he called COVID-19 the Kung Flu, and one of the craziest parts of the rally is that he even admitted that he's told his people to slow down coronavirus testing so that the numbers wouldn't look as bad, which is something we used to have to assume he was doing, and now he's just telling us. So I guess, thanks for the honesty. But when it was all said and done, it was clear that all of those empty seats really took a toll on Trump. This video you see the president
2: arriving back at the White House after that event, looking a little dejected.
4: Looked like he felt defeated as he was walking out of Marine One.
2: The fact that we're seeing him with his tie undone, that crumpled MAGA hat in his hand. It tells you that he wasn't able to to basically put a
0: happy face on something that for him was just an enormous disappointment.
1: Man, I have never seen a person get out of a helicopter looking that sad. He looks like he's walking home after a wedding where he got stood up at the altar, but still had to party because everything was non-refundable. <laughs> I mean, cheer up, Donald. You've got plenty of reasons to be happy. The borders are closed, Barr is firing prosecutors, and no one's seen Fauci in weeks. Come on, just take a double shot of hydroxy and get back in it, Mr. President. Because honestly, it's weird to see Trump display emotion. It's actually uncomfortable. You know, it's like watching Mr. Potato Head get a boner. I don't know how to feel. But I think this experience was the first time Trump actually felt the full weight and severity of the coronavirus pandemic. And what finally got to him wasn't the 122,000 lives lost in America, but instead the 12,800 empty seats in an arena. Don't go away. After the break, we'll be talking to Malcolm Jenkins and then Laverne Cox. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with two-time Super Bowl champion, Malcolm Jenkins. We talked about the Black Lives Matter movement and the powerful video that he curated and co-directed for the SB Awards. Malcolm Jenkins, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show.
2: I appreciate you having me.
1: It's uh, it's so apt that you have that, um, that painting behind you because, you know, a lot of people don't remember that image happening because we weren't alive then. A lot of people may not even know what that image represents, but that was a moment in sports when black athletes who were representing their country felt like their country wasn't representing them. It feels like in many ways, America has come full circle to that conversation. You know, you were on the show a, a few years ago and we were talking about just, you know, the conversation in and around America and sports and black people and, and equal justice. And it feels like now more than ever, people are willing to listen You've been talking about Black Lives Matter for a long time. You've been having these conversations. Have you felt a shift?
2: Well, I think, honestly, what, I, what we're feeling is is really the Black community is done trying to have the conversation. We've been, you know, been, been trying to ease our way as a country through this, you know, the history of our past and how do we move forward and come out of this racial divide. And I think Black people, uh, and a lot of people, you're starting to see our patience is up, right? And so... We're no longer. Not only are we not just willing to just have a, a conversation, we're not willing to just inch forward with small reforms. I think everybody's ready for true systemic change in not only what we do with our policing, but what we do in our criminal justice system, what we do in education, and even a healthcare system. Uh, and so I think it's important for us to continue to like push that uh, envelope because right now is the most enthusiasm I've seen in the movement for you know a long time.
1: When when you look at everything that's going on in America now, what do you feel or what do you hope some of the, the larger conversations would be?
2: What what progress do you want to see being made? Well, the, the number one thing is I want to see people really participate in this year's election. Uh, and so that's getting people registered and then figuring out ways, no matter what they put in place, to deter people from voting, uh, that we all pitch in and make sure that people get to the polls and participate. Uh, but the second thing I think is huge right now in this moment is getting people to really uh change their minds about how we go about policing in this country in our society and what that looks like. And so you've heard the term defund the police and that scares a lot of people. Um, but people should look up, you know, what that actually means. So whether you want to call it fund or divest or abolish, at the end of the day, we want to change the way that policing is used in our in our uh, country. And then you talk to police officers, they they want the same thing. They don't want to respond to mental health crises that they're not trained to deal with. It shouldn't be in our schools. They should have more counselors than police. You know, our, our children should have that in their schools. And a whole, you know, gamut of things that we don't need to respond uh, yeah. with police force. And so I think we need to have that conversation as a society and rethinking how we use uh, police.
1: You you got a lot of people talking with your video that you, that you came out with at the ESPYs. You know, a call to action. Getting people to have conversations. Getting people to be engaged. Black and white. And you really emphasize that point. In many ways it feels like the whole incident with Drew Brees was was a personification of, of your message. You know, your your teammate came out and said, you know, he wasn't happy with people kneeling, uh, you know, because he said it was against the flag. And he was... And, and you came out and you were really strong. You were like, yo, you're my teammate, but let me school you on, on what's happening here. And then he backtracked and he had a really... You know, in my opinion, it was a heartfelt apology and it seemed like he had heard you. Do you think that's that's what this country needs more of is like a discourse where people are hearing each other. How, like, tell me about that situation and whether, whether you think it was a success.
2: Yeah, I think my interactions with Drew is a microcosm to what we need to do as a country. And I think, you know, that was the reason I posted it. Me and Drew had talked before I posted that video and have actually recorded it before we talked. And I posted it anyway because I thought this is something that people need to see. And I think we, for a long time, have tried to put reconciliation before truth. Um, but when you do that, you don't really understand, you know, really what is oppressing people and really what the problems are. And we try to move to a post-racial type of society and move on from our past without actually addressing the history and, and the way that our past pretty much paints the present. And, and until we change, you know, the direction that we're going to, we change the systems that were put in place in the past, we'll always be tethered to that. And I think that starts with truth. And hopefully this time that we get to sit still because of COVID and all the things that are happening, people will take the time to really dive into and listen to you know, what people are talking about, to learn about our systems and how they've been not only oppressive now in today's context, but over generations and what that trauma and that, that you know, dispossession and, and marginalization means in 2020. Let's talk a little bit
1: about the NFL. Um, Roger Goodell, the commissioner, came out and said he apologizes for the way the NFL have treated conversations around race. He apologizes for the way the NFL treated Colin Kaepernick. And he said now the NFL is gonna do more. They're gonna get out there. I know that you were already pushing them. I know that they already had a few initiatives. But from, from a sports organization's point of view, what role do you think the NFL can play in moving these conversations or even society forward?
2: Well, I think what, what any corporation or any business uh, should be doing is first looking internally at, at how they run their own house, right? So what are the when you look at the NFL, you look at, okay, you have 70% of players that are black. How many head coaches do you have that are black? How many GMs do you have that are black? Uh, how many presidents do you have? Zero owners, zero presidents. I think there may be two or three GMs and less than four head coaches. Uh, and so – those are immediate things that they need to be addressing and and looking at. But then the second part is it's cool to put out statements and to cut checks, but where the NFL really has a lot of power is in its lobbying. They have, you know, owners that are, they got money out of, you know, right. they can just pull it out of the air. But what they do with that is they lobby all the time for things that help their business interests. We love to see them take that same kind of power and clout and use it to help Uh, in the areas that players are standing up for, that players are protesting about. Um, That is the biggest way, I think, that they can help players' initiatives uh, is really help push it on a legislative standpoint.
1: You know, um, going back to that image behind you, I I I feel like it really ties into the video and the conversation you had because a lot of people focused on the American athletes. Not a lot of people know the story of the Australian athlete who's in that picture, who basically stood with them and said, "Hey, I'm going to support what you're doing," and because of that, his career was also lost. The, 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 there's, a, there's a deeper conversation in, in, in how white people can be allies and how they can step up and what they can do. You've been someone who encouraged that from you know long before it was fashionable, and you're pushing that more. You know, you're pushing that more and more now. Why? Why do you feel that's so important?
2: Uh, because for me, the way I see it is that black people have been fighting for these things. People of color have been pushing these things and trying to educate and, and organize and all these things. But at the end of the day, you're a minority. Right. So you don't have enough votes and voices to turn it on your own. So while this movement may be started by black people it may be carried on through on the backs of black people, it's going to cross the finish line on the backs of white people. And it's important that we educate them, that we challenge them to get involved, to learn what's going on, because the only way we really see it get all the way through fruition is going to be if we get white people to bring this to a majority rule.
1: Well, Malcolm Jenkins, thank you again for being on the show. Uh, I, I lord you for everything that you've said, the work that you're putting in, and I think the message that you're putting out there, I appreciate you. Thank you so much, and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, brother. After the break... I'll be speaking with Laverne Cox about her new documentary and the importance of trans representation in television and films, so stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with Emmy-nominated actor and activist, Laverne Cox. We talked about the new Netflix documentary she executive produces and stars in called Disclosure. Laverne Cox, welcome to The Daily Social
4: Distancing Show. Thank you so much. It's so, Um, this is wild. This is so interesting, this whole.
1: (laughs) It's a very strange experience, yes? Have you gotten used to just meeting and talking to everybody like this?
4: I, I have, and I kind of prefer it. Can I tell you, before... Coronavirus, I never did video chats. Like when I would meet guys on dating apps, I would always want to just meet in person. Now it's a uh, prerequisite. Now we have to video chat (laughs) Um, and it's a great way to pre-screen. So now I'm gonna be, I'm pre-screening all my potential dates um, via video chat. So thank you, COVID-19. Wait, okay, help me understand this though.
1: What do you? What do you think you get from the from the video chat that you wouldn't have gotten in person, or do you, or is it just for you that you don't have to go to the in person because you've done the video chat? Is that what it is?
4: You is it save is? time. You you eliminate a lot of people that you would have like wasted time going to meet, and so like you kind of know in like you know three to five minutes if there, if it's gonna be a match. So it's just another. It's a pre-screen. You have always been,
1: I mean, one of the loudest and proudest LGBTQ act- activists out there. Like you, you became just like, like the archetype for what people hoped trans people could achieve, not just in acting, but in any field. You've come out with a, with a new documentary now that you are a part of and you've, and you've produced as well. And it's called Disclosure. And what I loved about it is it's a documentary taking us through how trans people have been portrayed by Hollywood and the entertainment industry for so long. Tell me why you chose to go with this route.
4: I am obsessed with looking back in history and to help us understand why we are where we are now and there's so much that hasn't been done around looking at trans history on so many different levels and because my work is in the media and I'm obsessed with media and want to get do better uh, and want the media to do better, it made a lot of sense. We don't even think about it. From the time we're kids we're
1: receiving images, we're receiving images and in, images and video and we just start to you know, assemble the world in our minds. There's no denying that trans has for a very long time been a punchline. Trans has been, you know, always displayed as the other, the scary, the punchline. It's 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 been this thing. Over the past few years we've we've started seeing the change. But but when you look at it as somebody who is trans, what have you seen a big change? Has that change been enough?
4: Enough is is relative, right? Like, um, what the film one of the things that film grapples with is that there is indeed unprecedented representation of trans folks in the media that really probably began about six years ago. And Sam, his um, our director Sam Fader, noted that whenever there is increased visibility of a marginalized community, there's often backlash and there's often increased violence, and that is exactly what we're seeing with the increased murders of um, black trans women and with the legislative assault as well. So yes, things have gotten better in terms of visibility, and then there has been a backlash that we're seeing. And I think one of the most critical things that, we should all remember is how the technique of divide and conquer works um to divide marginalized people right so that um i was so beautifully moved when i saw that protest for black trans lives right a, a little over a week ago and yeah, in Brooklyn, so many yeah. people yeah and here in la as well uh, where folks were declaring that black trans lives matter that we understand that all black folks are affected by systemic racism and that we have to come together and we all marginalized people have to come together Here's a question I have
1: for you. That That's a difficult one. And I, I would only ask you because I'm comfortable with you. But how do you think we get to the place where people can acknowledge their discomfort and their misunderstanding of a thing whilst not offending or, or, or discriminating, discriminating against the other person? How would you encourage that? You know, in, in the same way we're having conversations around race, how would you say to people, hey, let's
4: try and encourage just a movement in and around trans awareness? I think we have to really learn how to sit with discomfort period, right? I think whenever we, it is, we are called upon to interrogate our internalized racism, our internalized transphobia, and we all internalize these things as Americans, probably as citizens of the world. Um, and so we each have to be able to sit with that discomfort. I think so often when we are when we come up against something that is uncomfortable for us, often we go into this defense mode. We go into fight, flight, or freeze. Oh my God, someone called me transphobic. Then I have to immediately defend that instead of taking a breath and taking a moment and sitting with the discomfort of maybe being called out. Maybe you weren't wrong. Maybe you were. We all have to struggle. So I think a lot of it's about learning how to sit with discomfort, not going into fight, flight, or freeze so we can actually hear what the criticism and the critique is. And then understanding that um, being uncomfortable does not mean that you are unsafe. Right. So there is a difference between um, what I with the bathroom conversation just makes me think so much about because um, really, long, for every for several years, it was all about bathrooms, banning right, right, from right, bathrooms. Right. right. In the segregated South, white folks were not comfortable with black people in the bathroom with them. But did that mean that they were unsafe? And so what does it mean for us to sit with discomfort? What does it mean for us to really ask ourselves, are we not safe or are we just uncomfortable? I know
1: you've been working on programs to try and help trans people break into the industry, you know, just behind, behind the cameras, and you're really pushing for how trans people are portrayed on screen. What are the big changes you think we need to make?
4: I think the piece is, how do we have um, diverse people in positions of power, right? One of the things I'm most proud of with Disclosure is that um, everyone on screen is trans, and most of the people working behind the scenes on the crew are also trans. And in the case when we couldn't find someone trans to fill a role, um, we had a fellowship program where we um, had a cisgender person train the trans person. But it's not just about um, what Cardinal West calls putting black faces in high places, right? It's not just about, you know, sort of putting, you know, diverse people in the same sort Sort of corrupt systems. We have to um, change the way that power works. And so much of that is about, I believe, changing the material conditions of poor and working people, the people who are the most marginalized, to get them you know, opportunities to work in the industry behind the scenes and then be truly elevated to positions of power to not just occupy the same sort of you know, corrupt systems, but to change the system.
1: Laverne Cox, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Trevor Noah. It's good to see you again. Great seeing you. Thanks again, Laverne. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, June is Pride Month. And right now, we wanna highlight charities that are making a difference for LGBTQ people of color, like the National Black Justice Coalition, which advocates for federal policies that fight against racism and homophobia. And if you're able to help them and you'd like to join in, then please donate whatever you can. Now, if you'd like to support efforts to help black LGBTQ people here in New York specifically, then you can donate to the Audre Lorde Project. They help communities fight for their rights and organize for change.
0: The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com.